Turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah and chapter 17. Just want to say a couple of things in opening. Uh, You will notice that the outline that you have, uh, Lord willing, we will cover everything that is in it, but I'm going to jump around a bit uh, because I've decided to say some different things in a different order. So try to follow the bouncing ball and hopefully uh, the Lord will uh, bless that. But it's still a good outline, it's just out of order. If so, yeah. Kind of a good outline. Anyway, something else I wanted to uh, call to your attention is some resources, uh, one of which we have in our resource center, which is called When Homosexuality Hits Home, What to Do When a Loved One Says They're Gay. Uh, this is by Joe Dallas. Joe Dallas is a uh, speaker, <clears throat> and I've had the privilege of, a uh, speaker and author actually, and I had the privilege of hearing him speak at a conference I attended once, and it was very, very helpful, very insightful, and uh, he speaks about his own personal walk with the Lord and how he wrestled with uh, same-sex attraction and homosexuality and has been saved and has come to a new life in Christ and can give other people hope and help in the gospel as well. So I would uh, recommend that book to you. And i also like to recommend another book to you that you will not find in our resource center, and the only reason you won't find it is because I myself only discovered it, I think it was about two weeks ago, and I read it and I loved it. And it is called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. It's by Christopher and Angela Yuan. Read this book. You'll be greatly blessed by it. It's written as a memoir. He writes a chapter, she writes a chapter. He writes a chapter, she writes a chapter. About all that God was doing in their life during this difficult time that ultimately resulted in God being glorified and both of them being edified. It is not just a book for somebody who wants to learn how to wrestle with or have victory over same-sex attraction. This book would be good, I would say, for anybody to read because you know what it highlights? The prodigal son. It highlights, it is a very real story of a lost person being called back home, a lost person being called to Christ, and and the story is absolutely wonderful, it's rich in the gospel, and it gives tons of hope for us in this lost and dying world. So I would highly recommend this book to you. I highly recommend it so much that we don't have it here for you to get. But hopefully, maybe one day we will. But you can get on Amazon and you can get it yourself. Again, it's called Out of a Far Country by Christopher and Angela Yuan. I'll actually be reading a portion of it later on as part of my sermon. Excellent book. In the back, there's discussion questions. It would be, it would be an, a wonderful small group, uh, small group book. Wonderful small group book that drives you back to hope and help in God's word, talks about the gospel, brings us back to where we need to be focused upon. I could not recommend it more. I think I've made that point clear. Get it, read it, you'll like it. It's excellent. Hopefully you're in the book of Jeremiah already. We are now several weeks into our series entitled Holy Sex and two weeks into the month of October, uh, which for many people is their favorite month of the year. Would you raise your hand if that is you? Many people, it's their favorite month of the year. They love things about it. I I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely one of my favorite. I like the smells and the the pumpkin spice this and the apple cider that and hay rides and pumpkins and, and, and Sarah loves scarves and all this stuff. Sarah's obsessed with anything remotely related to fall. Just loves it, loves it, loves it, loves it, loves it. Fall seems to be in full swing. And uh, for the past 25 years, something else that is associated with the fall is people coming out of the closet. October 11th has been heralded as National Coming Out Day since 1988. It's a day in which our country and many others across the globe celebrate individuals who publicly identify themselves as homosexual. Every year they pick a theme, and this year's was Coming Out Still Matters. This is what our world celebrates. This is their baptism of sorts, publicly professing their identity, not in Christ, but in the decision they've made to be identified with what they feel and whom they are attracted to. And friends, this is the world in which we live. And my, how times have changed. Now, I'm not that old. I'm not terribly young. I guess it's all a matter of perspective. I've been around enough to have a bit of history, just a little bit of history and experience under my belt, and the ability to see times change even in my own short life, and they certainly have. I can remember when, at least in my estimation, the person who was gay-identified, and what I mean by that is not somebody who just struggles with this temptation, but has identified themselves as this is who they are and how they will act uh, 
as a result of who they are. The person who identified themselves as a homosexual was not considered the norm or even accepted. In fact, oftentimes they were ridiculed and persecuted if anyone found out that they even had tendencies, much less an identity, associated with homosexuality. Now, make sure you understand that I'm not looking back on those days as the good old days. As, as fellow image bearers of God, it should always sadden and grieve us to hear of anyone uh, who is persecuted in such a way. I'm merely referencing this to show an illustration of how times have changed, to show how far things appear to have shifted. You see, over time, homosexuality has gone from being persecuted to taboo to accepted to lauded and, in my opinion, encouraged. I mean, hey, don't knock it till you've tried it, right? That's what we hear a lot. That's what, is being, that's what is popular nowadays, particularly among young people. You can't knock it till you've tried it. So why not do a sex experiment and see if maybe that tendency, that temptation you have is really who you are. Because heaven forbid we should miss out on who we really are with the one life we have. YOLO. You only live once. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Note that word desperately. The Hebrew word uh, anash, elsewhere rendered incurable. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, incurably sick. It is an unbelievably dangerous thing to encourage people to just stick their toes in the waters of temptation. Because, friends, I am confident that you and I do not know the depths of evil of our depravity. I am confident that you and I cannot fathom the sins that lie latent in our heart that could be awakened by us flirting with giving something a shot because we may feel tempted in any way, shape, or form. It's an unbelievably dangerous thing to encourage people to explore the tendencies of their heart. But that's where we've come in our day and age, friends. Homosexuality is more than just accepted. It's more than lauded. It's encouraged. Why not give it a shot? You could be missing out. And here's what's happening in the church. See, homosexuality doesn't always have the same off-putting public presence it once had. Now, I'm not saying it never has that. It certainly does. Uh, I can remember... um, particularly as a, as a junior high and high school student, uh, every St. Patrick's Day, ILGO, Irish Lesbian and Gay Organization, would have a parade through the streets of New York, and parade they would try to miss them. Okay, and they would walk through the streets of New York in all their garb, dressed in drag, in, with images that I wish I had never seen, either on TV or in person. They were hard to miss. Now, that still happens today, but it's not the only way it's happening. It's not the only way homosexuality is being promoted. There is a real off-putting presence when you see somebody walking through the streets like that and you can obviously see if you have any familiarity or love for the scriptures, there's something off there. Now, there appears to be a much more reasonable approach. It's not as in your face always. Look, Peter, you've been married for 11 years now. You say it's been the best 11 years of your life. You constantly talk about how blessed you are, how it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. And that's great. Why can't everybody have that? So what if somebody wants that with a member of the same sex? Why would you... Why is that, why is that such a big deal? Why throw stones? just want the same thing that you have. Books are being written uh, like one entitled Torn by Justin Lee, subtitled Rescuing the Gospel from the Gays versus Christian Debate. Think about that slowly. Could you imagine what would happen if we rescue and remove and set aside the gospel from that discussion? That's the only hope of salvation for all who would believe. In that book, Lee takes uh, what he believes to be a fresh look at the Bible and believes that the gospel needs to be rescued from this debate and looks at scriptures 
and instead of boldly and, of, and in a way that's offensive, takes them out of context, takes them out of context in a much more palatable way. But they're out of context nonetheless. Bob Dylan was right. The times they are are changing. But the good news is, and this is a good news to all Christians, God is not. God is not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, one of the greatest, most comforting and reassuring attributes of God, I think, is his immutability. The fact that he doesn't change. The fact that he doesn't ride a mood swing set. The fact that I don't have to worry about what side of the bed he wakes up on. The fact that I don't have to worry about, is he really going to keep his word? Did he really mean that? Do I see it? You know, can I trust it? He does not change. Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3 and verse 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Uh, James 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, and look at this, with whom there is no variation or shadow of, our, of turning. God is our one constant in the ever-changing world that we live in that continues to change for the worse. He is sure. And therefore, all who believe in him can also heed Paul's exhortation to the church at Corinth. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. We can be steadfast. We can be immovable because we serve a God who is steadfast and a God who is movable and a God who is not shaken, but who is in heaven, not standing, not pacing, but seated on his throne, not worrying. And all God's people said, yeah, that would be a great time for an amen. Our God reigns. And just as God himself does not change, neither does his word. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says, The grass withers, uh, the flower fades, things change and come and go, but the word of our God stands forever, forever. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the word of God does not change. And therefore, we ought not buy the lies being sold to us in our day and age. The unchanging word of God, as I'm about to show you just in a small sampling of scriptures, roundly presents homosexuality as sin every time it's mentioned throughout the scriptures. Leviticus 18 and verse 22 says to men, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Two chapters later, verse, uh, chapter 20 and verse 13 says, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, we love and worship an unchanging God. We love and adore Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Hebrews 13, as we've seen, says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah tells us that the Word stands forever. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. It's not an old-fashioned thing as we read these verses. It's not mean or bigoted. It's truth. And God did not create sexual pleasure to be enjoyed outside the confines of marriage. And God himself, who created marriage, created marriage as one man and one woman becoming one flesh. This has not and will never change. But friends, the issue with homosexuality isn't homosexuality itself. And I've used this illustration before, but allow me to repeat it. If somebody shows up in an emergency room having sat on a nail, and they say, I'm in a lot of pain, I sat on a nail. The person looks at them and says, well, the first thing we need to do is get you on painkillers and put you on a morphine drip and make sure we take care of that pain. Okay, let's do it. And they do that. I'm not saying that's what they would do, but let's say they did that. And they're starting to feel better. Good. Stop the morphine drip. Ow, I feel it again. What have we done? We have treated the symptom, but we haven't touched the root issue. The root issue would be touched if we said, sir, do me a favor, bend over, touch your toes, and we just went like this and took out the nail. We would say, okay, that's what was causing the pain, and now go, be well, 
we've solved that problem or at least gotten on the step to recovery. Friends, when it comes to this issue of homosexuality, there are a ton of strings attached to it. Tons of them. And I think what I see happening in the church and sometimes even in my own life is I can oftentimes be distracted by some of the strings that are attached to it that I'm not saying aren't important or aren't noteworthy but are not the root cause. So I want you to see the root cause and for that I want you to look at Romans chapter 1. Would you turn to Romans chapter 1? Isn't it sad that we're not in the Roman series but we keep coming back to Romans? Not so much. It's like God is keeping us in a Roman series. Romans chapter 1. Sex is a key way a person expresses worship. Sex is a key way a person expresses worship. You say, well, what about for people who don't have sex? They express worship in their sexual purity. It's about holiness. The person who chooses not to fornicate expresses worship to God by obeying him. The person, of course, who is saved is worshiping God by choosing to live a life of purity. The person who chooses to express worship in, a, in their marriage by uh, having sex with their spouse is expressing an act of worship. Sex is a key way a person expresses worship. And I want you to see what happens here as we read from Romans 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter so that we can get a big picture of what happens when somebody takes their eyes off of the object of our worship, which is Jesus Christ. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. This is what the Word of God says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Uh, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. What I want you to see is a spiral that starts in verse 18 and goes straight through verse 32 of what happens as people suppress the truth of God, as people take their heart, take their focus off of who, not what, but who should be the object of our worship, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 18 as we pretty quickly, quicker than I'd like to, but pretty quickly walk through this spiral as you can see what happens. It starts in verse 18 with the suppression of truth. Not long after that, you can see in verse 21 that their hearts are darkened. Truth is suppressed. Okay, and when truth is suppressed, it means truth is rising up and we know it to be true, but we move it aside. We bat it away. Suppress the truth. It's there, but we're going to suppress it and make like it's not there. Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them because God has shown it to them. 
And then in verse 21, you see that hearts are darkened because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And their foolish hearts were darkened. One verse later, you see in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. So truth is suppressed. Hearts are darkened. And now guess what? All of a sudden, what's up is down. What's down is up. What looks, what looks wise is really foolish. And what looks foolish is really wise. But people's hearts are darkened. Their minds have been darkened by taking their minds off of truth and suppressing it. And that is the result, as we see in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And then changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Now I want you to see three exchanges that happen at the altar of idolatry, particularly in this case, sexual idolatry. Look at verse 24. Actually, look, excuse me, look back at verse 23. First, the glory of the incorruptible God is exchanged for an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's one exchange. Then as a result, look at verse 24. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. Now you see verse 24, there's a therefore. Why did that happen? Because of what we looked at previously, because of the suppression of truth, because of the idolatry in their hearts, God gave them up to uncleanness. Look at verse 25. We see another exchange. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature instead of the creator. What's the result? Look at verse 26. Once again, God gave them up to their vile passions. And their vile passions was where we see homosexuality brought into the picture in this case. Women exchanging the natural use for what is against nature. Men leaving the natural use of the woman burning in their lust for one another. What is that? That's a symptom. Do you see that? That's a symptom. It's a symptom of what has happened since verse 18. A suppression of truth. Darkened hearts. Foolishness thinking to be wise. And an exchange that keeps happening that God is not pleased with and gives them over to this. Homosexuality is the symptom of idolatry. Verse 26 and 27, we see that they've uh, changed sexual behavior from what is natural to what is unnatural. So see, foolishness, wisdom, wisdom, foolishness. Flipped around. Natural, unnatural, unnatural, natural. Flipped around. And then in verse 28, once again, God gives them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Homosexuality is the symptom of idolatry. And as always, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's not just about bad moral behavior. It's not just about whether you think it's gross or not. It's symptomatic of one that is bowing at an altar that they were never intended to be lying prostrate in front of, and that is the altar of sexual idolatry. And G.K. Chesterton says it very well. When we cease to worship God, it's not that we worship nothing. We'll worship anything. We were created as beings to worship. And when we take our eyes off of who is worthy of our worship and our adoration, it's not that we then worship nothing. It's then that we just worship anything. John Piper says sin is what we do when we're not satisfied in God. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, I wanted to make sure that we stay focused. Because as I said earlier, I think oftentimes since there's so many strings attached to this issue, we can get tangled up in the strings and miss the core, miss the root. I think we can miss the forest for the sake of the trees. And I want to make sure that we understand uh, that even though Christ and only stands for is increasingly under attack... And, and I, I don't think I need, to, I don't need to prove that, do I? Christ and all he stands for is increasingly under attack. Uh, you can't deny that. It's obvious as we watch the news, interact with others, go to work, speak with neighbors and family, and just live our lives. And we were never created to be a majority in this life. And we may have enjoyed a time in our life where we felt as if we were, or where our country and nation appeared to be, more accepting and welcoming of the values that oftentimes accompany Christianity. And whether or not that was ever truly the case is a debate I'll not entertain now. But suffice it to say, as Christians, we tend to be nowadays more alert, more ready, more vigilant than ever these days. Ready to, ready, ready to fight. 
Okay, we're kind of ready. We know. We want to, we want to stand up for Jesus. We want to stand up for truth. And we're, we're ready. We've got, we've got an eye peeled for lies. We want to sniff out the, the lies that are coming our way, that are creeping up their way uh, in all sorts of media, in politics, as we watch the news, just as we live our lives. And we'd be wise to be good Bereans, and we'd be wise to be able to sniff out the difference between truth and error, and wise to train our children to do the same. All I'm saying is this. Not every fight is worth fighting. Not every fight is worth fighting. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the term red herring. It's in, uh, it refers to a, a logical fallacy that misleads or detracts from the actual issue. It's, it's a literary device. Perhaps you've, you've, you've read this in books before. Leads readers or characters towards a, a false conclusion. It's used in mystery or, or, or detective fiction. As I remember, I think, yeah, Agatha Christie and then there were none. I remember reading that. And uh, there's, there's an example of it in there. Several examples of it in there. I can't believe I just remembered that. Anyway. I think um, if you're familiar with the movie Up, Squirrel! Oftentimes, as Christians, I, squirrel, I think all of a sudden we're so, we're, we're, we're so on alert and so ready to, squirrel, so ready to fight that we sometimes run down a path ultimately that I don't think really amounts to a hill of beans. Let me see if I can give you an example in a Starbucks shareholders meeting earlier this year, it was suggested to Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz that Starbucks shareholders would experience a greater return on their investment if he didn't tick off so many conservatives by being so tolerant of diversity in the workplace. Howard Schultz responded as follows. Take a look. Because not every decision is an economic decision. Despite the fact that you recite statistics that are narrow in time, we did provide a 38% shareholder return over the last year. I don't know how many things you invest in, but I would suspect not many things, companies, products, investments have returned 38% over the last 12 months. Having said that, it is not an economic decision. The lens in which we are making that decision is through the lens of our people. We, have, we employ over 200,000 people in this company, and we want to embrace diversity. Of all if, if you feel respectfully that you can get a higher return than the 38% you got last year, it's a free country. You can sell your shares at Starbucks and buy shares in America. And the response from the conservative Christian community is one of outrage and offense. And I look at it and say, I don't really know what the big deal is. First, as an aside, if the fact that Starbucks seeks to be tolerant and embracing of diversity comes as a surprise to you, I must assume that you've never been in one. <laughs> Hashtag just saying. Secondly... Uh, the way that it's been spun is kind of embarrassing. See, as I've spoken to different people when this happened, I think it was back in March or April. He said he doesn't like heterosexuals. No, he, he actually didn't say that. Don't defend him. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying he didn't, he didn't say that. He said he's against the, the Bible and biblical marriage. No, he didn't say that. Why are you using this voice? I don't know. I don't know where this voice came from. I don't know who I have in mind when I... But that's just... <laughs> I think it's a red herring. Now, friends, it's your money. You can spend it where you want. I don't care where you get your coffee. I don't even care if you drink it. If you choose to no longer frequent Starbucks, that's fine. I ain't got no skin in the game. 
If you think you please God and advance the kingdom and are pleasing the Lord by not going to Starbucks, I'd ask you to please show me from Scripture why you think that to be true. Let's have a discussion using biblical terms of telling me why you think God would call Christians to boycott Starbucks and what the end goal is. And if you think you are standing up for biblical marriage by choosing to buy your coffee elsewhere, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's a red herring. It detracts from the real issue. It may make you feel good inside, and you may get lots of likes and retweets on social media platforms as you talk about it, but you can't prove that God would click like on what you're doing. It's something that's misleading and distracting you from what you're called to be in this world as a Christian. And that's not to steer the minds of corporate America back to biblical values. What good would that do you? Now, let's say all of a sudden it worked. Then what? People aren't saved by coming back to conservative values. People are saved by the gospel. The gospel. And while we're doing this, we're not even very good at this. I'm not saying boycotts don't work, but God did not design us, in my opinion, from the scriptures, to act in this way. That's why a month into the boycott, the Starbucks shares went up $3 a share. And that's why now they've gone up $24 a share. Let it go. You're missing the big Squirrel. Organizations and companies don't go to heaven or hell. Do you know that? They don't. Hobby Lobby's not going to heaven. There won't be a Starbucks in hell. There won't be a Chick-fil-A in heaven. A fat lot of good it would do if there was Chick-fil-A in heaven because heaven's like an eternal Sunday. It would always be closed. That actually occurred to me. I was thinking, I was like, oh, that wouldn't. (laughs) Hold the line. Stay focused. Not every fight is worth fighting. And friends, I can't help but wonder who really gets credited with the win, God or Satan, when something comes down the pike that results in less of a Christian presence and witness in any place. We are to fight. And I'm not one of those people, okay, I have, fr- check my call log in my phone. I call Frankfurt probably more than you even realize. I'm not saying that we're supposed to not be involved and we're not, we're not supposed to vote. We're just going to sit back and relax and just enjoy the ride. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying not every fight is worth fighting. Think of the end game. Paul told Timothy to fight, but he told him to fight a specific fight, a good fight. In 1 Timothy 1, he told him to to, to wage good warfare. 1 Timothy 6, he told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Uh, Keep your minds on things that are of an eternal nature, that benefit people eternally. And that is the gospel, not your coffee purchase. Don't squirrel. Don't be distracted by every little thing that comes down the pike and think it all pleases God. Some of them are terribly distracting. Responding like Jesus means staying focused on the primary goal and the primary message. Not making heterosexuals, but making disciples. In Matthew 5, verses 13 and 14, we're told we are the salt of the world. We are the light of the world. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching who? Them. To observe all things that I have commanded you. Make disciples, teach them. When all this was going down earlier this year, I learned of a family within our church that chose to intentionally frequent a Starbucks, Bible in hand, gospel tracts in another, and start conversations with employees because of the ridiculous way it was being spun. Salt and light, not halt and fight. Salt and light. If I'm ever meeting with David Clegg, and if we're at a place that involves some sort of wait staff, he consistently, consistently looks to the waiter or waitress, identifies himself as a Christian, and offers to pray for them as we thank God 
for the food. And he doesn't, it's not like I'll pray for you later. You know David Clay? It's not, it's not like I'll pray for you later. The person says, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, you can pray for me in this way. I got this going on. And there's David. All right, well, Lord Jesus, we thank you. And they're like, oh, like, do, I, do I bow? Do I leave? What do I do? I've learned from that. I've tried to do that when I go. If I have a meeting in Starbucks, I try to do that. Prayed for a, Comair, a former Comair employee who is now a Starbucks barista who said that she identified herself as a Christian, said she's thankful to God for the job she has, but still doesn't really know how her, she's going to make ends meet. Pray for a Starbucks employee who's about to get married to someone of the opposite sex. Pray for someone who just started going to school around here and got this as a job to help them pay their, pay their way. Salt and light, folks, not halt and fight. Salt and light. Responding like Jesus means looking for opportunities to respond with both grace and truth. Please turn over to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Speaking of Christ, we read these words. And the Word, who is Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Question. Which does Jesus have more of? Grace or truth? Is Jesus more gracious than truthful? Is he more truthful than gracious? It's a trick question. Uh, verse 14 says he is full of grace and truth. He is full of both. He is full of grace and full of truth. Uh, further, look at the text. W- what is beheld here? The glory of God the Father is beheld in the Son as we see a man who is the perfect marriage of both grace and truth. There's nothing good about being more uh, like one more than the other. I'm more like Jesus' truth side. People need bold truth. Nobody's telling to them. I want to be like his truth side. Congratulations on not being like Jesus. He doesn't have a truth side. Do, 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 do you understand? I'm more like Jesus' grace side. I just feel like over the years the church has just not done a good job. And it's my personal job in life to apologize for 2,000 years of people and I need to just show them grace and love and acceptance. Congratulations on on just not being like Jesus. Jesus doesn't have a grace side. He doesn't have a truth side. He is what? Full. Full of grace and truth. There there is no truth without grace. You, You understand that? There's no grace without truth. Oftentimes, you'll see on the news or perhaps even in person, uh, protesters holding signs. It says, God hates fags. First of all, that word, just so you understand, in the homosexual community, it's like the N-word for homosexuals. It's not just a byword. It's highly offensive. Second of all, it does beg the question, is it true? Does God hate homosexuals? Well, keep your finger in John 1, but turn over to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm 5. David says this in verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate 
all workers of iniquity. You hate all workers of iniquity. Now, perhaps this comes as a surprise to you that our God would hate anyone, but he does. Psalm 5 and verse 5 says, you hate, God hates, all workers of iniquity. The question is this, is it true by telling a homosexual that God hates homosexuals? Full of grace and truth. God hates all workers of iniquity. Do you understand that? The context of this particular passage, look what it says in the first part of verse 5. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You, shall, you hate all workers of iniquity. God hates pride. He hates proud people. He hates all workers of iniquity. And he loves all of his children. But he hates all workers of iniquity. It would be a most unloving thing for God to say, I love the people I sent to hell. I love you. And he dumps people into eternal conscious punishment in the lake of fire. Why am I talking about this? Watch. Grace and truth. There is no truth without grace. God hates homosexuals. There is no truth without grace. The truth is God hates all workers of iniquity. And there's hope in Jesus Christ. He can save anyone. All of us are in need of salvation. God hates all workers of iniquity. So you see that? That's a, that's a, that's a, a grace fail if you would. He hates all, he hates you, he hates you. Well, God hates all workers of iniquity, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. The other side of it is, oh, well, you know, I just want to show love and peace and acceptance. I don't want to tell them that stuff. It's just, how will they take it? That's a truth fail. You see what I mean? Grace and truth. Not a truth fail or a Focused on grace. Not a grace fail, we're focused on truth. But the marriage of the two. Yes, God abhors all sin. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Psalm 5 does not say God hates all workers of iniquity, especially those who are homosexual. He hates all workers of iniquity. There is no truth without grace. There is no grace without truth. And there is no Jesus unless we strive to be like him, full of grace and truth in this and all areas of life. Responding like Jesus means having a heart of compassion for people who are lost and in need of a Savior. Why? Because you were there too. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to ask you to do something, and that is look at verse 14, and then forget that there are verse and chapter numbers, because there wasn't when the writer of Hebrews first wrote it. So look at, find your place in verse 14, and then make like there's no numbers. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For Every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices to sins. Now look at this. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Why? Since he himself is also subject to weakness. So starting out by looking at Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest who is tempted in all ways yet without sin. We say from that, clearly, the human high priest can have compassion on the people that he is offering sacrifices for and atoning for. So on the day of atonement, the high priest was to offer sacrifice for what first? His own sins first. As well as for the sins of the people. And this was an indication that the high priest was subject to weakness. 
like the rest of the community and in need of cleansing from sin. This practice would encourage him to deal gently or have compassion with those who are ignorant and going astray. The Greek verb there translated to have compassion, deal gently, literally means to moderate one's anger. And the comparison and contrast with Christ is is clear. Jewish high priests were at least to control their anger when dealing with those who sinned. But our high priest will actively sympathize with our weaknesses, as we said back when we began reading that text beginning in verse 14. You can look at the numbers now. Hey, don't judge people just because they sin differently than you do. I've never been a fall-down drunk. I can't empathize with with someone who is trying to repent of the life-dominating sin of drunkenness. When I come across someone who is enslaved to drunkenness, you smell the booze a mile away. It is tempting to look at them and, quite frankly, look down upon them. You know how many foolish decisions had to be made over how long a period of time to get this person, this didn't happen overnight, to get this person to where they are today? You know how many people, I mean, birds of a feather flock together. You know, sin is rarely just isolated. I'm sure there was lies and deceit and how many relationships were ruined to get this person to be where they are today as a fall-down drunk. Not knowing what that's like, that's my temptation. Because I look at it and it seems so obviously offensive, obviously foolish, obviously against the words of Scripture, that I'm just like, yeah, I have an idea. Stop drinking. But maybe just under 10 years ago, I was convicted by a sermon I heard on compassion. Not knowing what it's like to be a drunk. I got to wonder what it's like to wake up in the morning and for one of my first thoughts to be, I mean, my first, one of my first thoughts to be wondering where I'm going to get myself a bottle of hooch. That must be terribly sad to be enslaved in such a way. I can't personally relate to that, but I, that must be terrible to wake up and to that be your first, where am I going to get my first fix? Where am I going to get my first sip? I can't relate to that, but thinking about that brings about compassion in me for the one who does, as opposed to me standing above them. <laughs> Idiot. Look at this. Well, yeah, Bible said this would happen. So many things about drunkenness. You can obviously see it's going to happen. <laughs> Wow, don't judge people just because they sin differently than you do. Have some compassion. Think about this. What would it be like to be faced with the reality that the person or people you are attracted to for as long as you can remember, you can't pursue them in a relationship And honor God. In other words, the companionship one longs for, the intimacy one desires, that which seems right to them for as long as they can remember, is prohibited. That must be really difficult. It should bring about compassion. (laughs) Yeah, of course, prohibited. The Bible says so. Calm down there, tough guy. Even the person who is loud and proud of their homosexuality and marching through the streets, ignorant to truth and bowing at the altar of sexual idolatry, can you just pause for a minute and agree with me? How sad is that? They have no clue. No clue of the judgment that awaits them. No clue of how lost they are. We have a compassionate high priest in Jesus Christ. He has dealt compassionately with me. 
If you love Jesus, I trust that he has dealt compassionately with you. Now, understand, I'm not saying dealing with compassion is ignoring truth. Remember, grace and truth. I want to be careful how I word this because it can be spun in so many different ways, misquoted in so many different ways. This is the ultimate soundbite sermon. And I pray the Lord would grant me clarity of speech as I say what I'm about to say because I think it's important. Not everyone who experiences same-sex attraction chose to be that way. Calm down. Let me explain. I'm not saying they are biologically predisposed to be that way. There's no such thing as a gay gene. Not at all. I'm just saying when some people say and have said to me in counseling situations, Peter, for as long as I can remember, I've been attracted to members of the same sex. I mean, literally, for as long as I can remember, that's, that, that's what I remember. They're not lying. Do, 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 do you understand? Watch. Don't leave the, the church yet. Watch. For as long as I can remember, I've been attracted to members of the opposite sex. I can choose to glorify God with those feelings or not. So my attraction to people of the opposite sex doesn't automatically mean that if I just follow those feelings, it's good. Because then I could be a fornicator, I could be an adulterer. Just because you feel something and experience something for as long as you can remember doesn't mean that you are that and must act on that. Does that, does that make sense? So when somebody says, this is all I've ever, I don't remember consciously saying, from this point on, from this point on, I'm going to like, dudes. They, some people do. But when someone says, I've never made that choice, we're like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. No, dude, I really didn't. Like, I really didn't do that. I've never made that choice. Yes, you did. You have to. It's a choice. Well, let's all just calm down. When someone says that for their whole life, all they remember is being attracted to members of the same sex, that's not a lie. It just doesn't excuse, then, a lifestyle that would feed that. Does, does that make sense? The trouble comes when someone says, since this is all I've ever experienced, it, it's who I am and therefore who I must be. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. That's just who I am. It's how I was made. We know of a God and Savior who raises the dead, who changes lives, who totally calls people out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we don't have to be slaves to this or any sin. It's a lie that people would believe that this is how i got to be. It's, just, it's what I've always, just because it's what you've always experienced or what you've always felt, I don't doubt that. So hear me saying that. I don't, I don't not believe you. It's all I ever remember, feeling this way. I don't doubt that. I'm just saying you don't have to go down that path and then identify yourself with that sin. If you're a Christian and if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new nature. Uh, old things have gone away. Behold, all things are made new. We have a new identity in Christ, and you don't have to be a slave to this or any sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to be a slave to sin. I can't promise you that, t- I can never promise you that temptations will go away. But you don't have to be a slave to them. You don't have to be identified by them. You don't have to be a slave to your every feeling, your every desire. There's hope and help for all who will trust in Christ. He can set you free from life-dominating sin and grant you repentance to walk in holy obedience. Maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction. If you do, let me speak to you as I close. Struggle implies a fight. And if you're fighting to walk in holiness and obedience, if you're fighting against that which comes natural to you and choosing to please the Lord... I want to encourage you to keep it up. It's a good thing to do. Fighting temptation and fighting sin is a good thing to do. And you say, but I can't picture myself ever being a a, a heterosexual. I can't picture myself ever being with a member of the opposite sex. 1 Peter 5.16 says, be holy as I am holy. I want to read you an excerpt from this book, the one that I love that you can't buy today. 
Okay, now this is Christopher Juan talking. Remember I said he writes a chapter, she writes a chapter. Listen. He says, as I continue to read the Bible, I realize that my identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. Paul said in Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Christ should be everything, my all in all. My sexual orientation didn't have to be the core of who I was. My primary identity didn't have to be defined by my feelings or sexual attractions. My identity was not gay or homosexual or even heterosexual for that matter. But my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. I had always thought that the opposite of homosexuality was heterosexuality. But actually, watch this. But actually, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. God never said, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. He said, be holy, for I am holy. For the longest time, I could never see myself becoming straight. It was a burden, because I felt I had to somehow become straight to please God. So when I realized that heterosexuality should not be my goal, it was so freeing. The thing was, if I did become straight, I would still deal with lust and temptation. Therefore, I knew that I shouldn't focus on homosexuality or even heterosexuality, but on the one thing that God calls everyone to, holy sexuality. Holy sexuality is not focused on an orientation change, becoming straight, but on obedience. And I realized that obedience means no matter what my situation, no matter what my feelings, gay or straight, I must obey and be faithful to God. There's hope. There's hope. It's not about all of a sudden you changing your entire life to make sure that you uh, like, become attracted to, marry, and have babies with someone who is of the opposite sex. That might be a byproduct. God oftentimes does things in people's lives where that is the result. That's just not the goal. Does that make sense? The goal is holiness. The goal is doing what we can do to honor God with our desires. So if you are, in fact, and, 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 and some of you do, I know you do. You've spoken to me. Some of you have never told me. I know you do. If, if there's, if, I mean, I don't know you personally do, but in a crowd this large, people struggle with all sorts of different sins. And if you struggle with homosexuality, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, I want to let you know that just because you feel it doesn't mean you have to be identified with it. And just because you, are, just because you feel it doesn't mean you have to do it. And that there's hope and there's help and it's found in none other than Jesus Christ. And as an elder of this church, I want to come before you and lay out a welcome mat. Because as God's providence would have it, you come to a church that doesn't say, yeah, get that fixed and, and, and call me in the morning. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you go repent? Here's some truth. Bye. But you go to a church that has people who are willing, I would even say desirous, to come alongside you and walk with you through that. You don't have to do that alone. You say, well, there's a big gap between what you're saying and, and where I need to be. You're right. And there's not a single one sermon that could, that could help you walk that path. And, and it's not going to look the same for everyone. But we do have hope in God's word. We do have hope in the gospel. And I want to let you know there are people here who are willing to walk with you and counsel the word and show you what that path looks like that you could be leading a life that is pleasing to God. There's hope in Jesus Christ to walk in holiness and obedience. Whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, it's about holiness. And God grants repentance and the ability to obey him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, so grateful that hope has a name. 
It's Jesus Christ. Lord, that we don't just hope in, in making things better. We don't just hope in living a better life and uh, taking a step in the right direction. Lord, we come before you, every one of us, every one of us, sexual orientation aside, saying you are our hope. You are our peace. You are who keeps us. And Lord, we are nothing, absolutely nothing without you. There's no, I can't muster up holiness, but you have called us, you have justified us, and you are and will continue to sanctify us. Lord, would you reach down specifically to the person that needs that hope this morning and show them the beauty of grace and truth from your holy word. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified as we seek to walk in a life of holiness and obedience to you because we love you and would love to please our master in this life. Show us how we can do that. Show us from your word how we can practically do that and work in our hearts to bring yourself glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.